0: Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, a podcast that looks at the inspiration, intention, and actionable steps to help you jumpstart joy in the world, in your life, and in other people's lives. This is your host, Paula Jenkins. This is episode 178. This week on the show, I'm really excited to have an interview with Kate B., She is the founder of The Sober School, and we talk all about the crossroads of sobriety and joy in this fascinating discussion. I think you're really going to love what she has to say about how to let go of habits that are maybe no longer serving you and how to let go of drinking if you find that you're having a little more wine than you want to at wine o'clock each day. Before we get to the interview, I want to give you a very warm welcome and say thank you so much for tuning in this week and always Jumpstart Your Joy is a podcast that's been around for over four years, and I feel super blessed to be able to do this show each week where we look at the inspiration, intention, and action behind joy in your everyday. I am Paula, and I am the host here. I am a very unique mix of a project manager, a life coach, and a podcast producer. If you're interested in finding out more about the show or how you might work with me, You can find everything at the website, jumpstartyourjoy.com. And there's a couple things that you might want to look for while you are there. The first, you can get my cheat sheet on how you can start a podcast of your very own. If you're just looking for kind of what hardware and what software you need, you can get that right there on the site. The other thing you'll want to look for are the show notes for this episode. It's at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash Kate B., B-E-E is how she spells her last name. And you'll find links to her site and the the other pieces that we talk about in this week's episode. What really stands out for me about this interview is a couple of things. It's a mix of setting the intention for what self-care truly is in your life. I love that Kate and I dive into this nuanced area of, while sometimes it might feel like coming home and having a drink is a form of self-care and a way to relax after a long day. We talk about how it can cross that line into a gray area of it being something that maybe isn't helping you relax and isn't really self-care. And that while everything else around what you're doing around that drink might actually be the self-care that your body is craving. So the coming home and changing and putting your feet up and watching a show or whatever. The other thing that I really love is the action side of this is that Kate, when she was looking at her own life and she had gotten to the point where she felt like alcohol and the way she was drinking was no longer serving her, she recognized that she was not getting what she needed from going to the doctor who told her to simply cut back. And she recognized that she she felt like something like a 12-step program or rehab would be something that didn't quite fit her as well. And so what I really love is that she started her own school to help people go through the very thing that she went through. And I know that so many of you are entrepreneurs and looking to start something of your own. And the way that Kate has found this kind of simple need that's so complex and nuanced reminds me a lot of how Jess Ekstrom of Headbands of Hope did a very similar thing in launching her own business. So, and I hope you'll find the inspiration in the way that she took action on something that spoke so deeply to her. So without any further ado, let's get on to that conversation with Kate B. Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. This week on the show, you guys, I'm so excited to have Kate B joining me. She is a coach that works with women to work to get into sobriety. And I'm really thrilled to have you on the show. We haven't talked about drinking or sobriety on the show before. So this is an amazing opportunity. Thanks for joining me.
1: Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's great to be here and talk to you about this stuff. Would you tell us what you
0: loved most as a child or in school? What were your earliest sparks of joy?
1: Anything creative. I loved writing stories and making kind of arts and crafts type things. And I was thinking about this the other day that funnily enough, that's kind of not that far off from what I do now. I love writing my blog and Mm -hmm. anything to do with graphic design or yeah, pretty colors and choosing patterns. I still absolutely love all that stuff. So it, it still sparks joy for me. That's
0: so wonderful. I mean, and it's so cool. Lots of times guests do see that there's like this beautiful tie through of what lit them up as a child and then how that plays through to their adult life, especially when it's writing. And it's so cool to be able to pull those things into
1: the modern day. I absolutely agree. I did some career coaching a while back. And one of the things they got you to think about was what did you love doing as a child? And I realized, oh, yeah, I still really love that stuff. So I I think there's something about what we love as a child that's Mm -hmm. really important to pay attention to.
0: Yeah, I I love that because even my own journey to becoming a coach and starting a podcast started with a moment where I realized, you know what, as a kid, I really loved, strangely enough, acting. And I'd really loved doing improv as a kid back in high school. So improvisational comedy. And I went back and started taking classes for it. And then it kind of daisy chained its way to current day. But it's it is interesting when you kind of feed that piece of yourself. It's almost like new doors just start opening up.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Would you like to share what it is that you do now and who you work with?
1: Sure. My business is called The Sober School and I help women who want to stop drinking alcohol and I help them do so in a way that makes them feel really good about it and kind of empowered to live an alcohol-free lifestyle rather than feeling miserable or like they've kind of got a bit of a bad deal. So, yeah, I'm really passionate about helping women to let go of a habit that's been holding them back. And yeah, it was all born really out of my experience because I've been through all this stuff too.
0: Can you share a little bit about kind of your own background or maybe the aha moment? Because I think there's, there's you know, there's a couple interesting things right here for listeners and, and they love to hear like, what was the thing that started a business? But I think it's mm-hmm. also interesting to understand that so often what we see is people understand that they see a problem or an opportunity and that is something that they go out and either research for themselves or it strikes them right away that like, hey, there's really a better way of dealing with this.
1: I know. I think so many entrepreneurs operating in the, the wellness space have mm-hmm. come, come to it from their own experience. But yeah, I mean, just to give you, I won't give you the blow by blow account of my <laughs> drinking days because we'd be here a long time. <laughs> but Ultimately, my problem was that from my teenage years to the end of my 20s, I wasn't a normal drinker. You know, I I wasn't the kind of person who could just have one drink and leave it there or, you know, knock down that glass of wine. I always had more than I intended to, whether I was out with friends or drinking at home alone. And, you know, it, it was negatively impacting me and making me feel quite bad. But I was very aware that I wasn't a raging alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, the only people who needed to worry about their drinking and stop drinking were those, the the people you see sipping cheap alcohol out of brown paper bags who've lost everything. That that was what problem drinking was to me. Mm -hmm. And when I looked around for help, that message seemed to be reinforced. Either I was looking at going to rehab or going to AA meetings, which I knew I didn't need to do. I thought I'd be laughed out of there for not having enough of a problem. Mm -hmm. And yet on on the other end of the scale, when I went to my doctor and, and talked about how, you know, I was concerned that I was drinking too much, their response was really just like, oh, well, why don't you just cut down a bit? as if I'd never even thought of that, which was so <laughs> infuriating. Yeah, I I spent a really long time feeling like I was stuck in this grey zone. I wanted to stop drinking because it was having all these negative impacts. But at the same time, I'd grown up watching Sex and the City and Bridget Jones and my social life revolved around drinking. And I just thought my life was going to be over. So I felt in a real bind. And Particularly being from the UK, drinking is such a big part of our culture. It really seemed like I was stuck between a rock and a hard place. Mm -hmm. And really, the sober school was born out of me. Eventually, I did stop drinking. And I realized that it's actually like a heck of a lot better than I thought it was going to be. And I just so wish that I'd, you know, been exposed to someone like me now who could have said, hey, you are doing the right thing by stopping. It it isn't as bad as you think it's going to be. It's actually going to massively turn your life around for the better. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where that desire came from. But I wasn't a, I'm not a natural entrepreneur by any means. (laughs) I I wasn't one of those kids with a lemonade stand. No way.
0: So yeah, I can totally relate to the thing that you said about Drinking can be a cultural thing and it can also be something where what like a group of friends or your social situation or even your job is in an environment where that is one of the things that you just do like I'm thinking back to my college Mm -hmm. was definitely a party school go UC Santa Barbara also a very good school but like that was baked in we definitely went out as often as we could or just stayed in a drink you know so I think it's interesting that you go from that place of being, like you're saying, kind of teens to 20s, depending on (laughs) the drinking age or not, (laughs) (laughs) wherever you are. But like, how does that start to form who then we are once we're maybe past 25,
1: easing
0: into 30, and we realize, wait, that worked for a while?
1: I think there's a really interesting journey, particularly amongst women who... Well, and guys as well who go to college and university, because certainly here in the in the UK, when I was a teenager, we just aspired to go to the pub and get served even when we were underage. So that was like 16, 17. And then you went off to university, which is practically a training ground for drinking. Right. Everything just revolves around drinking. Mm-hmm. And and then for me, I worked in journalism in my 20s, mm-hmm. which is a notoriously boozy industry where you work hard and you party hard too. Right. And I felt at the time as if my identity was kind of built around that. Yeah, it, it was part of who I was and how I socialized. And then towards the end of my 20s, when i was at a point where yeah i had a reasonable a reasonably high disposable income cuz you know i was single in a relatively good job no kids and part of that was yeah i'm going to buy a nice bottle of wine on the way home and yeah i am going to drink it in my flat alone because hey i'm i'm a grown up i'm an adult you know independent woman and Hey, all empowerment to me. I think there was some kind of confusion between feminism and independence and all those things going on there, which is quite a toxic mix.
0: That's really deep too. I really like what you said there about it. Like now that you've arrived and you've got the money, that now this is also something that is almost sounds a little bit like self-care in a way, like that, that it gets framed that way, like that I can do this for myself.
1: Oh, massively. Massively. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges. Well, that I have certainly today when I'm working with women is that so many of us have trained ourselves to think that drinking is a form of self-care. Mm. When actually, if drinking is making you feel pretty terrible about yourself, then it is the opposite of self-care. Yeah. But. What What's confusing is that some of the things we do when we drink, like when I was coming home, taking off my work clothes, putting something comfy on, flopping down in front of the TV, having something to eat, all of that stuff, that is relaxing, that is kind of self-care. The alcohol wasn't some magic thing in a bottle that was providing the self-care, but I so believed that it was the wine that was this magic thing that was relaxing me at the end of the day and was so crucial to, you know, me managing my stress, not realizing that actually alcohol was exacerbating my stress because it was causing all these other problems.
0: That's really interesting to think kind of about that very fine line of kind of self-care and then, I mean, in some ways numbing out a little. I mean, I I know when I was, I worked at several ad agencies in San Francisco, that's also a really drinking-oriented field where, you know, after a big pitch, everybody goes out if we won or lost it, like we'd go out drinking and heavily. And
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I think at some point that celebration, it's interesting because drinking seems to have that thing that we're unpacking here is it feels great for that little period of time. And then afterwards you're like, but we're now we're celebrating all the time. Like, this doesn't make any sense. I can't even make it. I mean, not that I ever really got to that point, but people would have trouble coming into work the next day. And then is that really, you know, is it really a celebration or is it really undermining yourself?
1: Yeah. And I think it's a really, it's a really fine line because for some people, alcohol is part of their life and it works for them. And and if, if that's the case, then all power to them. But I do think it's strange that we say things like, you know, you're talking about people coming into work. You know, I quite often hear people say, oh gosh, I, I can't even remember what I said or did or how I got home last night. And someone else would say, wow, you must have had a really good time then. As if mm. the sign of a good night was drinking so much that you couldn't remember it. That's quite strange because we wouldn't say that about any other drugs. No, you're right. There's some confusing messages there.
0: It really is confusing. Yeah. And it has been socialized to the point where then you're right. It's kind of almost. It's almost like a badge of honor, like, oh, dude, yeah, you were so, I mean, my my uh, vernacular will be more of the UC Santa Barbara version, but like, yeah, dude, you were so crazy last night, you were, you know, jumping on the roof or whatever, and everyone's like, what? You did, you know, and it's like, everyone gets excited and cheers the person on for having been, I mean, just really out of their mind and doing something dangerous.
1: It's, yeah, it's it, strange.
0: Yeah. Do you see some specific pain points that women come up against? And that's when they decide that, hey, maybe I need to change something. Like, are, are there some patterns here where you're like, oh, yeah, that's one of the ones that I always see?
1: The typical person who comes to work with me is normally in her late 30s, early 40s. And she's probably a bit like me, been drinking since her teenage years, drank a lot during her 20s without too many problems. But things have just steadily increased and increased and increased and now she's at a point where life is really busy, maybe busy with work, busy with the kids, husband, house, and she's just about keeping the show on the road. But she's starting to wonder whether the wine she's drinking at night is that the glue that's holding everything together, or is it actually the stuff that is making life really, really hard? Because there are so many consequences now to drinking, right. and I. I don't know whether I think it's a a bit of a um, combination of age and finding the hangovers harder to deal with, perhaps, Mm -hmm. Um, stress, having more of it anyway, but also perhaps more a desire to take care of your health as you get a little bit older. And if you're being good all day and being mindful about what you eat and exercising right and all the rest of it, it 's not lost on most people that they must be undoing that work if they come home and they're regularly drinking half a bottle or a bottle, perhaps more of wine every night mm-hmm. Yeah, I think most people start to realize there is a problem when they are repeatedly waking up and just regretting the night before, whether mm-hmm. they were out or at home they 're regretting how much they drank they 're regretting how they feel and. What I often hear is that people have been creating lots of rules around their drinking, Mm -hmm. little like self-imposed rules to try and control things. Maybe it's only drinking a certain type of wine or only drinking after a certain time or on a certain day or with certain people, but they are consistently breaking these rules and setting new ones and feeling terrible about it Mm -hmm. and just getting that sense that life is passing them by a bit. There are lots of tests you can take online about, do I have a problem with alcohol? But I always think it's actually a lot simpler than that. It's just, am I drinking more than I want to? And is that making me feel bad? That's what it comes down to.
0: I think that's a great question. I mean, and probably if you're at the point of your Googling the quiz of, do I have a problem with alcohol? You probably already, (laughs) you know the answer and you're just fearing the discovery of, yes, that's true, like- (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. I always joke, like no one comes across my website by accident. You don't end up on a site like that without having done some Googling first. And yeah. Uh, and yeah, if you're worried about it, then, you know, trust your gut instinct is probably a reason you're feeling that way. Yeah.
0: And that's so true. And I think it's what I mean, kind of like what we were saying is that oftentimes, is it that drinking is so entwined in a person's life that then Really pulling it away, especially if it's been with you since you were a teenager, like pulling mm-hmm. it away is probably frightening as well.
1: Yeah. And that's why everyone comes to this from the viewpoint of, gosh, is my drinking bad enough that I'm going to have to stop? Because they, you know, it seems like a wrench to take it away. But actually, a much better way of looking at it is, is my drinking good enough? for me to carry on as I am putting up with all these side effects you know all things considered am I willing to put up with this given that I'm so quick to cut out things like gluten or dairy or (laughs) go vegan if I think it's going to make me feel better you know bearing in mind all of those things is this good enough um, yeah. I think that's a better way to look at it because we don't, yeah. we don't wait, wait until we're morbidly obese to go on a diet. We don't wait until we're bankrupt before we tackle our finances. Um, and we've, we've got to stop waiting until we are the, the raging alcoholic under a bridge type thing before we do anything about our drinking. Mm,
0: yeah. And that's a really, it's a really good point. And I giggled only because you said gluten free because I I am gluten free and that made a whole lot of difference in my whole day to day. But it, it also then inspired me when I was looking at health and diet and all of that. Well, now I don't really drink at all because I'm also I can't do fructose, which most drinks or mixes have some sort of fructose in them. And so I'm I'm fairly pretty much sober myself. So it and it really is interesting that once I had made the decision to say no then it, may, it meant that I was saying no to drinking as well. Like I couldn't do gluten, I can't do fructose. Well, then I'm really not drinking either. And
1: yeah, kind of as yeah.
0: you've said, like it. I don't miss it really at all. I sometimes miss the taste of beer, but like I don't miss the rest of it at all.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I think there's a label for people like you. Um it's <laughs> not a bad label. <laughs> um, I think you are part of the sober curious movement which is there's been quite a lot written about this recently people who are yeah for various reasons finding that alcohol doesn't make them feel good and whilst yeah. they may not be ready to kind of go hey I'm sober I don't drink you know and kind of wear it as a banner on their t-shirts yeah actually they're not really drinking like very quietly just not really drinking anymore and mm-hmm. there are more and more people who are who are adopting that approach because It makes sense, like it really does make sense. If you are like like you are kind of gluten free and really caring about your diet and what you put in your body and your well being, then yeah, many respects drinking doesn't really make sense or fit in with that. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you for the new term. (laughs) I'm I'm glad I spoke into it. You know, I I don't always make the show all about me. I, I but I think that is an interesting angle that if we really do care about the body and and how it processes things. then sometimes things just aren't a fit. And my husband is also then sober curious uh, for different reasons. You know, this feels like the right choice for us as a family now that we have an eight-year-old and Mm. it just felt right. Do you think there's also, Yeah, (laughs) thank you. It also strikes me that there's probably a lot of changes that go on as you kind of get to that late 30s, early 40s stage, do you think that some of that, like, you know, your body's changing, hormones are changing, like, do you feel like some of that starts to weigh in? Or do you guys get to that at all in your your course?
1: Yeah, I, I think it really varies. As I say, I think for some people who are getting to that stage of life, they've got things hitting them from all angles, probably they are looking after children, and maybe also looking after elderly parents as well. So Stress levels are really high. And by that age, you know, you're probably doing quite well in your career. So at an okay, an OK job level, but with all the stress that comes with that. And, yeah, I think the combination of all of those things can really grind you down. And you don't have quite the same bounce back ability, in the morning. And it just feels as if you're grinding through life on a combination of caffeine and sugar. And, you know, you're you're kind of winding yourself up in the morning and then knocking back the wine in the evening to try and wind yourself down again. Mm. So we're living these really stressed out lives. And drinking for a while can feel as if it's helping with all of that. But actually, after a while, it's just fanning the flames of that cycle. Mm-hmm. So stopping drinking is really helpful, a really good thing to do. But another challenge for women who are kind of at that age and experiencing those things is also also to step back and say, okay, like, what else is going on in my life here? Like, what do I need help with and support with? And You know, if if I am numbing out with a a drug like alcohol at the end of a regular Wednesday or Thursday or whatever, then, you know, what is driving me to that and how can I change that? Uh, And yeah. yeah, I think that's a, that's when you're in the cycle of drinking and just getting through the week and living for the weekend and then doing it all again, it can be really hard to see the wood for the trees, and to get that perspective of what's really going on in my life.
0: And do you find that most of the time when people commit to letting go of drinking, then are they in a place where they can kind of see some of the other pieces that might be going on in their lives? Like, is that kind of the next step of, oh, now as I'm sober, oh yeah, mm-hmm. I see that maybe this relationship isn't what it could be, or I don't like my job. or
1: Yeah, I see some massive changes. Um, because what part of what I do is um, obviously help people with your tips to stop drinking and we do like lots of kind of myth busting and changing the way we feel about alcohol but the most important work is looking at the root cause and the thing that might have driven you to drink in the first place mm-hmm. and so for some people when they stop drinking they might suddenly find it improves their marriage but for other people it might shine a light on cracks in their relationship for me i realized that i was bored so bored with life i was bored with my job and i i didn't really have enough hobbies or friends in my area like true friends i've moved around a lot for work and i think drinking had been a way to distract from some of the loneliness so when I stopped drinking, I had to face up to some really uncomfortable things that I kind of would have rather ignored at the time, but I'm really glad I tackled them because ultimately that is how you improve your life in the long term. And and I did make those changes. So, yeah, I, I see massive changes in people.
0: Yeah. That's interesting too. I see kind of on the life coach side of things a really similar thing where if especially I think around women who have gotten married and have kids and a career that they've with or without drinking, they've gotten to that point where it was, it's been that they're striving for so long, you know, be the best mom, be the best person at work, be the best person they can in their relationship. But somewhere along the way, it's almost as if they lose then who are they in the midst of all of that? Like it's been Mm -hmm. so much for so long for everyone else that then they get to a place where it's, I don't, I mean I've had someone literally say I don't even know what I like yeah that seems sad yeah but I mean and so then when you layer the the alcohol piece on top I could see that it becomes even more yeah hard to unpack maybe
1: yeah I I think that's really interesting and I think alcohol makes it harder for you to realize that you've lost your way a bit and that you've Mm. lost who you are and uh, yeah I mean it's so easy to get stuck in that cycle of just kind of Doing what you feel you're expected to do and not what you truly want to do, and and always striving for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. I think a lot of people when they stop drinking are left with some big questions about, yeah, their life and who they are and what they want, Mm. which I hope doesn't sound too overwhelming and scary, but (laughs) (laughs) uh, because you know it, it, it is scary to stop and ask those questions, but my goodness we only get one life don't we right. so, yeah.
0: well and it's exciting too because if you, once you've gotten to that point where you're questioning things then it's kind of the question too of what else is what becomes more possible when you tap into the things that you love mm-hmm. and kind of that opens up a whole new world for many people of like well no, I'm I'm not living my dream. Like what I actually think I want to do is this, (laughs) you know, (laughs) fill in the blank. So I think that's interesting too. What is kind of that fine line slash difference between I don't feel great about my drinking situation right now and I am a raging alcoholic. Like what's, Mm. where's the difference? And maybe also who do you work with?
1: Yeah, so I think um, culturally we like to behave as if, there are just two camps, normal yeah. drinkers and these raging alcoholics, like black or white. And as long as you aren't an alcoholic, you're just fine. But of course, it doesn't work like that. There, no one flips from one to the other overnight. There's a big gray zone in between those two places. And that's where I was. And that's where the women I work with are. And I think being in that gray zone can cause a lot of unhappiness and harm and misery, but it's widely not really acknowledged by many health professionals and, and other support systems. So the kind of people I can't work with are people who are physically addicted or who suspects they may need some medical support to detox because they are drinking at such high levels that they get the shakes or other side effects when they stop drinking. I mean, that you do need proper medical support to stop drinking if you're at that point. Mm-hmm. But it's, I'd say it's only once in a blue moon do I get an email from someone like that and I can kind of point them on their way. Most women, it is they have got these perfect looking lives on the outside. They are keeping the show on the road and the kids go to school on time and they've got their packed lunches and they do all the extra school activities and you know, work's done, everything lo- is looking fine. But these are people who are quietly drinking too much wine at home, behind closed doors. So it's a hidden problem. They are not collapsing out on the street after a you know boozy night out and they're probably drinking quite nice wine maybe organic wine but it is still causing them all these problems so it's super helpful and i
0: think it does shine a light on that piece of that there's that gray zone and or gray area and you don't have to be at the point where you need medical assistance or a detox program to still have alcohol make a huge impact on your life and kind of how you're feeling about yourself
1: yeah. Yeah. So at the end of last year, I reached out to some of my students and asked them if they would share a picture with me that summed up their like alcohol-free highlight of the year. Mm. And um, I wanted to use it on my blog. So I wasn't sure if I'd get many pictures because a lot of people I work with are, are really, really private. Mm -hmm. But I got these amazing pictures from them. And these pictures tell such a story about what a difference sobriety versus drinking can make to your life, even when you aren't a, you know, a rock bottom drinker. Mm -hmm. I had a picture from a lady who was there at the birth of her first grandchild. So there at 4am and she said, you know, if I've been drinking I wouldn't have been welcome here. My daughter wouldn't have wanted me here and I'd have missed this experience. Mm. I had someone else who'd like just run a marathon. She's like, I would have never trained for this if I'd have been drinking because, you know, who wants to train with a hangover? You know, right. I have other people who've gone on these amazing holidays and kind of plucked up the nerve to travel alone and, and do things that they haven't done before. So, I'm just telling you those things because you would think that stopping drinking is just about, oh, you know, enjoying a hangover-free lifestyle or, mm-hmm. you know, not feeling so bad about yourself when you get up in the morning and knocking back, the, you know, the painkillers. But actually, even when you're in that grey zone and things are looking okay on the outside, you can see such a massive difference when you stop drinking and you remove this thing that is dominating your life and your headspace and how you feel about yourself and what you what you're doing it's yeah the gray zone of problem drinking is pretty pretty powerful
0: yeah i love that you're out there and giving that message because i think it is easy for people to ignore that maybe making a decision like, you know, letting go of alcohol could mean so much more for their life. And they think maybe it isn't that bad and maybe it isn't, but just kind of thinking of what's on the other side of making a decision about letting go of it is so, Mm. so amazing and so affirming.
1: Yeah. But it's, um, the, the hard thing when you are, when you're thinking about taking that leap and changing something is that you are looking at a drug that is so romanticized and glamorized. It can feel as if you're about to give up so much and that's so scary. And part of what I do is helping people unpack that and look at, okay, what is it that you think alcohol is doing for you right now? Like, What are the benefits that you're scared of losing? And you know, let's break all of that down, like one by one and, and look at whether that is really going on, because I can guarantee you, it's all it's kind of smoke and mirrors a lot of it. It's what we believe to be true often becomes true. So yeah, there's so much to gain by stopping drinking. But I, I re- fully remember and I know how scary it is when you feel as if you're about to lose something that's been a friend to you and a crutch for a really long time. Yeah,
0: yeah. If someone's in that space now, I mean, I know you you offer a course. Are there some of the easier tips that you can give on how does someone embark on trying on sobriety?
1: Yeah, sure. So I would recommend if Someone is someone's been struggling with their drinking for a while, and so they they tried cutting back and all the rest of it, and it hasn't worked. I would recommend taking a proper break from drinking for two or three months. Decide on what feels reasonable to you, commit to doing it, and really throw yourself into it for that period of time. And the beauty of taking a break is. You give yourself the opportunity to test drive sobriety and see what your life feels like when you try alcohol-free living properly. Because when you're sober for two or three months, that is very different from just not drinking on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday. You, You know, you have to make yourself go through those tricky early days, navigate a few awkward things, maybe go to a party without drinking. all those slightly challenging things that ultimately when you've done them it really gives you a different perspective on on what sobriety is like and at the end of your break you're in full control you can always go back to drinking if you want to you've got that safety net there but I think you'd be amazed how many people choose to continue that break for a bit longer and a bit longer and and kind of move forward like that Mm. so that's what I would recommend. Take a break and give it your all. Whilst you're taking that break, read as many books as you can about alcohol-free living. Buy sober memoirs. There are so many of them now. Um, read blogs like mine. And really question yourself when you start thinking, gosh, I'm craving a drink or I want to drink for this reason. Think about what it is that you think alcohol can do for you. Um, I always say, look at the kids. If your kid came home from school and they'd had a really terrible day and they were awfully upset, would you ever offer them a glass of wine? Like, no way. Um, But if your child came home and and was upset or feeling terrible, you know, you would help them troubleshoot the problem. you probably give them a, a cuddle, maybe get some food for them. Think about whether they were tired or they needed an early night. Part of sobriety is learning how to mother yourself again, because so many of us have lost that. We're just turning to alcohol all the time instead. So yeah, treat yourself like a child. (laughs) I guess that could be summarized as.
0: (laughs) I love that very much. Well, and it does kind of round back to that, kind of the question of self-care. And if that's what you feel like you're getting out of a drink you know then i think that suggestion of taking care of yourself and mothering yourself during a time when that's when you're not drinking i mean that's really kind of then the other version of what self care is and and mm. could be if that's what you feel like you're getting from a drink yeah and then what we can kind of believe is actually providing some sort of nurturing to us it may or may not be true but that yeah. thing is, is the right thing for us.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And a lot of people feel that drinking with their partner strengthens their relationship because it's something they do together. And actually, when you break it down, what's really strengthening your relationship is the fact that you are taking some time out to sp- spend some time with each other, quality time, and talk through your day and be there for one another. And you can do that kind of stuff, no matter what's in your glass. So it's just really analyzing some of those situations where you think I have to have alcohol, and really looking at what's going on underneath. Yeah, Mm, that's so powerful.
0: If someone who is listening is wondering about how they might get involved and and work with you where would they find you and um what have you got coming up that someone might work with you in
1: cool thank you well um the best place to find me is over at thesoberschool.com where I've got, I write a blog nearly every week uh, with some sort of tips and advice, and I've got several free guides, including a gla- a guide on how to survive one o'clock, that that urge to drink between kind of five and seven o'clock at night, and then um, if someone wants some support to take a break from drinking, as I was talking about earlier, the best way to work with me is to uh, come and join my course. I have a a six week online course and the next one is going to be starting in April and I'm going to be getting a big group of women together to go through this course all at the same time. So you don't just get the lesson material and help from me, you also get to be part of this big sort of online tribe who are all working towards the same goal at the same time we kind of hang out in this private online classroom. So it's really nice, supportive atmosphere.
0: Sounds amazing. And really, yeah, group and um, kind of group work, especially when you're making a huge change, can make such a difference in how you see it and how you feel supported.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, It's so powerful, isn't it? When you see someone else who you see yourself reflected in someone else's story and you Mm. think, Oh yeah, I am not alone.
0: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, and I will link up to all of those in the show notes. How do you see um, kind of joy playing a role in sobriety? Um, Which might sound like a strange question to someone who, if they're like, no, I don't want to give up drinking, but like, how have you seen joy show up more in your life? If it has, since you made the the decision to be sober. Uh,
1: In a massive way. When I look back on my drinking days, I think I spent such a long time numbing out, numbing out the bad emotions, that what I didn't realize is that when you numb out the lows, you're also numbing out the highs too. So, you know, you you don't really get to feel um true joy. And what I absolutely love about not drinking is knowing that all the emotions I feel nowadays, they are all 100% real. They aren't artificial. They're not fake ones induced by drinking too many wines. You know, When I go to a, a comedy club and I laugh until I cry, it's because they're genuinely funny. Um, when I have an amazing night out with my friends, it's because I know man, these are my friends, this is my crowd. I'm not just drinking in order to kind of tolerate these people or paper over the cracks in our relationship. So yeah, I feel as if since I stopped drinking, life has been a lot more vibrant. And Mm. yeah, there's a lot more emotion there. And and really welcoming that.
0: Mm, that's beautiful. Thank you. And last, uh, what are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives?
1: Well, I would say keep a gratitude list. I am a massive fan of this. I only started doing it a few years ago, but it's made such a difference. Um, and I think particularly uh, for drinkers, Keeping a gratitude list can be a really good idea, forcing yourself to focus on the positive, because when you're focused on all the negative things and what's not going well, it makes it a lot harder to stick to your sober goals. So a gratitude diary or a what's going well list, I think really brings me quite a lot of joy. And I I love reading back through it as well to see what I put. Mm. The other thing I'd say is exercise. You need those Exercise, endorphins, uh, they just make you feel great. And nowadays, if I'm having a really bad day, the kind of day that I would normally have drunk over in the past, I try and get myself to an exercise class where all I have to do for an hour is focus on what someone's telling me to do and run hard or jump hard or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. because it gets me out of my own head. And when I finished, I feel amazing. So that would be my second thing. And the third thing really is something I guess we've already talked about, which is implementing self-care. I think too many of us, you know, we are checking our emails uh, before our feet have even hit the floor in the morning. We're just on the go, a massive, crazy rush. It's nonstop all day. And then, you know, you, you get home and you, you feel totally exhausted. I, I really think implementing even just a little bit of self-care, making sure that you don't eat your lunch at your desk and you do get out for a walk or you do get 10 minutes to yourself. Just something small can make a really big difference to your, your health and your well-being and ultimately make you feel more joyful and certainly more sane.
0: Mm, I love that. Thank you so much, Kate, for for being on the show and for sharing all of these amazing insights
1: uh, with us today. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. If you want to find the show notes
0: for this episode, you can go over to the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash Kate B, B B-E-E is how she spells her last name. And from there, if you're driving, you will find the easy links to get to Kate's site and find out more about The Sober School, which she is launching again in April. And while you're on the site, be sure and check out that wonderful downloadable cheat sheet that I have. If you're looking to start your own podcast, you can also reach out or schedule a consultation with me. If you are curious about life coaching, I offer a free 30-minute consultation. I also do the same if you're looking to bring on a project manager for your mid-range small business or if you want to start your own podcast. You can find it all at jumpstartyourjoy.com. Next week on the show... I'm going to be doing a solo cast where I talk about how to set boundaries that help you have more of a sense of harmony in your life when you're running your very own small business. I've learned so much in working on this show and working with other people who have their own small businesses, and I really can't wait to share some of those tips and tricks and how I approach managing my own time with you next week. So I hope you'll come back for that. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.